you've uh, got your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter uh, number 7. 1 Corinthians chapter number 7, we're going to continue our study in this wonderful book uh, that Jerry Vine said was probably uh, the most pertinent uh, book in the contemporary world in which we live today. And remember, we talked about that he had said that while uh, the things may look a little different, fundamentally we're still dealing with the same uh, stuff today that they were dealing in the Corinthian church. And of course, you know, we've titled uh, this series that we've been in going through, The More Things Change, The More They Stay the Same. And boy, that's true as we look at what they were dealing with and uh, what we're dealing with in the world that we find ourselves uh, in today. Last week, we talked about marriage, uh, and beginning in chapter number seven, we're going to continue that. And I told you, if uh, you remember, that is one of the areas that I don't feel qualified. I'm still working on it and still trying to figure out this thing called marriage too. Uh, after 26 years, and I don't think that's one of them things you ever <laughs> are going to perfect. But hopefully we get better at it a little bit as we go along. And the Bible is very clear. It, it gives us directions on this thing uh, called marriage. Uh, of course, in the Corinthian church, you know the problems they were having. We've already talked about a lot of them. Uh, you know, just problem after problem. But then heaped on top of that was all of this uh, issue to deal with marriage. The Jews were saying it's a sin if you don't get married. The, then some of the Corinthian believers... Uh, that came out of the pagan world were saying, well, no, it's not that it's a sin if you don't get married. It's a sin if you do get married. And Paul was trying to clear all of that stuff up and, and said, well, it's good if you remain unmarried, but it's also good if you get married. And that's kind of the, uh, the outline or the context that Paul is writing 1 Corinthians uh, Chapter number 7, he begins it, Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me. Uh, so apparently they wrote him, asking him some questions uh, about marriage. I'll say this. Most of you know Dakota's uh, going to be getting married pretty soon. And uh, he, uh, him and his, uh, well, fiance now, I guess, have asked me to do their, their wedding. And, uh, and, of course, I'm honored uh, to do that. But we talked about marriage counseling. And uh, number one, I told him, I said, I'm not a good counselor. And I'm not. I'm not that good a counselor. I, I'll be honest with you. Because when somebody comes to me for counseling, I, go, I say, okay, what's your problem? Well, my problem's this. Well, what's the Bible say about that? Well, the Bible says this. Well, do what that says, and that'll solve your problem. That's probably not the best type of counselor, but uh, that's, uh, you know, if you do what the Bible says, normally it works out. Um, but anyway, what's that? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it, we talked about uh, that, you know, doing that counseling, and I'm gonna tell you that's difficult when you're talking about doing marriage counseling with your own son and your future daughter-in-law. Uh, so uh, anyway, I don't know how we're gonna work through that yet, but uh, we have to find somebody else. There you go. But uh, in a sense, that's what Paul was being here. In some ways, it's a, a marriage counselor telling people what God thinks about marriage, but then also how to navigate those waters because 
when God created Adam and God created Eve and he put them together, he said, this is good. So it works best for society. It works best for the world that, uh, I would say this, a lot of the problems that we deal with in our society today could be uh, better dealt with, uh, not with program after program, money after money and all of that, but by strengthening marriage and strengthening the home. Um, I do know this, the number one predictor of childhood poverty is not education. It's not socioeconomic status before the child come in uh, to the picture. But the greatest predictor of childhood poverty is whether or not the mama is married to the daddy of that baby. And marriage alleviates a lot of the pressures and problems, uh, and it's just God's way for society to function. So it's important uh, that we get it right. Now I want to read you just a few verses, uh, beginning at verse number 10. We went through verse number 9 uh, last week. Paul says in verse number 10, And unto the married I command, yet not I but the Lord, uh, let not the wife depart from her husband. But and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. Now, now we talked just a little bit. I want to clear this up too because I think I've come to a better understanding of what Paul's talking about here. Um, when Paul says, speak I, but not the Lord. I believe here's what Paul's saying. I kind of hinted at this. We talked about it a little bit. During the Lord's earthly ministry, uh, he talked to the disciples. He talked to people in public. And, of course, the disciples heard him. And based on what he taught the disciples and what the disciples heard him speak in public, they compiled that under the direction of the Holy Spirit. And it became what is the canon of the New Testament uh, of Scripture, right? So all of those teachings. Uh, but Jesus didn't talk about everything. I mean, there were some things that he just didn't address because it didn't come up. Now, he did talk about, in some ways, the broad picture of marriage, but not specifics. So I believe what Paul's saying here is, is Jesus didn't specifically address this while he walked on the earth. Uh, but since then, uh, I've learned some things from the Holy Spirit. You know, Paul did spend all of those years in Arabia being taught personally by the Holy Spirit of God uh, before he began his public ministry. So I believe what he's saying is, is the Lord may not have specifically said this, but I've learned these things, so I'm going to go ahead and say it now. And, of course, we know that the Holy Spirit did direct the writing of the New Testament uh, through uh, Paul and the others that wrote it. So we can't say just because Paul said this that it's not the words of God. It is. So verse number 12, But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. If any brother have a, have a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And the woman which hath an husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For if the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, for the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband, else were your children unclean, but now they're holy. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. Now, I'm going to stop right there, uh, and uh, I'll say this. I'm not good at sermonettes, uh, but I told a couple of people, if you ever heard a sermonette from me, you're probably going to get one tonight. <laughs> but uh, uh, really, when we look at this, 
you know, they talked about the problems with the Jews, the problem with the pagans and all that they were having there in uh, the issues in Corinth. There's a couple of questions that we can ask of the Scripture, ask of Paul as we look at this passage that I think can kind of get the gist of what he's trying to tell us here uh, in this passage of uh, uh, Scripture. So verses 1 through 9, you know, he talked about uh, singleness and marriage and sex and celibacy. And now he's going to talk about marriage and divorce in the passage that we read tonight. So we're going to ask two questions, and hopefully we'll let Paul answer them for us in the Word of God tonight. What if two Christians, we're asking Paul, what if two Christians uh, don't want to be married anymore? Uh, what do you do in that situation, Paul? That was a question that they were asking there uh, in Corinth. So Paul writes, And unto the married, so these are people who have already gotten married, I command, yet not I, but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. But, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. So, two Christians are married, and they don't want to be married anymore. Paul says, uh-uh, can't do that. You stay together. If you do depart, you have no right to ever remarry. Um, basically, that's uh, what Paul's saying. So, two Christians, they don't want to be married anymore. They're not to divorce. Uh, this is clear in Scripture. Malachi 2.16 is a familiar passage to many where God says, I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. Uh, to divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. So God says, two people are married, verse 10, but to the married I give this instruction, yet not I, but the Lord, uh, if you're married and you're both Christians, then stay married. Um, you've heard the old thing about irreconcilable differences. I, I've said this for a long time. One of the greatest, and I know I'm crazy and I don't look at things like most people. Uh, there's been a few things that's happened in our nation that I believe have brought us to the place where we are today. Uh, and, and I'm going to tell you, our nation today stands on the brink. I know it may not seem self-evident to people and all of that, but we're in trouble as a nation tonight uh, to the point that this thing could explode at any moment. And what we've known as the United States of America could be no more in what is mere moments. And one of those problems that brought that about is this thing called no-fault divorce. Uh, what was it, early, mid-1970s, early 1970s, before then, you know, in the eyes of the law, before two people could get divorced, you had to show cause. Uh, there had to be adultery or physical abuse or a abandonment or something uh, like that. And when no-fault divorce came along, people just could say, well, I don't like you anymore, and uh, I wanna, don't want to be married to you anymore. And that's caused great and irreparable harm uh, to our nation. Because you've heard me say this over and over and over again. It, it, it's one of the reasons that I'm uh, uh, so down on any political movement that uh, disrupts marriage. But because marriage is the fundamental building block of civilization and society. It's the smallest block. Uh, you got a marriage then from 
a marriage that gives you a family and from a family you get a village or a community and from a community you get a city or a you know even a state and from a state you get a, a, a you know a sovereign country or whatever and so marriage is the fundamental building block of society god set it up that way and anything that attacks that or goes against that i think is a great danger to us as a people and uh, so the bible's clear uh, now there's where it gets a little controversial and people may not want to hear but there's three reasons and three only i believe where divorce is permissible um where divorce is permissible and there's been no sin committed, I guess you would say, on one uh, party or another. Um, it's never what God wants because he hates divorce, but it is permissible in three instances. Number one is adultery. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 19. Matthew chapter number 19. Uh, in Matthew 19, Jesus, of course, addresses this. It's not the only place in the gospel that he addresses it. Uh, but... Uh, Here's what the Bible says in Matthew 19, verse number 9. These are the words of Jesus. And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her, which is put away, doth commit adultery. Uh, so the first permissible uh, instance where divorce is uh, possible uh, is in the case of adultery. That's not to say that's God's will. It's not to say that God doesn't want that family to work that out and there be forgiveness take place and restoration takes place. Uh, but as much as God hates divorce and I understand it's not his will, he does allow for that in the case of uh, adultery. Now, then the question is, is that person allowed to remarry? And I understand and am well aware of the historical Baptist teaching that if a person gets married after they've been divorced, even for the cases of adultery that they've sinned. But that's not how I read this text. Because Jesus says, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and marry another, committeth adultery. So when I read that, it tells me that if a person puts away their wife because of fornication, and because men and women are equal before God, it would be vice versa, and marries another, then they've not committed adultery. Now, I don't understand that, but I do know that God, through Moses, because of the hardness of people's hearts, instituted a divorce in the Old Testament, and what God has joined together, man cannot tear asunder, but I think in this instance, God tears it asunder, based on the Scripture, not on Keith's opinion. Uh, so Jesus said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. Then you get the next sentence. And whoso marrieth her, which is put away, committeth adultery. Now, that we take that to mean in any circumstance, but Jesus is clear here. We have to look at the words and look at what he said. Who's been put away? The person who's committed adultery has been put away. So, yes, to marry that person who's been put away because of adultery is adultery. But the converse of that, then, must be that to marry the person who's been put away not because of adultery or put someone away because they committed adultery he is not committing adultery uh, because God dissolves that. So number one is adultery. Case number two is abandonment. Uh, if we look back in the chapter number seven, verse number uh, 15, Paul uh, talks about unbeliever leaving uh, uh, a believer. And he goes on and he says there in 
uh, verse number 15. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us uh, to peace. So there would be that thing of abandonment where one person just leaves. Um, and, you know, it's talking about an unbeliever and a believer. One of the difficulties that they were having in Corinth was nobody was a Christian, basically, uh, when Paul started the church there. So then you would have uh, a person who uh, became a Christian and then the spouse was not a Christian. And they were still worshiping, you know, a hundred different gods and worshiping Caesar and all of these things. And they say, well, I don't want to be with you anymore because you're a Christian. And, you know, the person, uh, the spouse, whichever one of them would get saved, uh, they may be trying to make the marriage work or whatever that would look like. Um, but... Uh, they just pack up and go. Well, Paul is very clear here. He says, if that takes place, then the brother or sister who's been abandoned is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. So then you've got to ask yourself, well, what's Paul talking about when he says not under bondage? Well, he's talking about the marriage bond. So literally, if that person abandons a person, you know, one person's a believer, one person's not a believer, the person who's not a believer abandons the one who is a believer, then those marriage bonds have been broken by that abandonment and that person is not under the bonds of marriage. Now, I know that may go against historical Baptist teaching, but what it don't go against the Bible against is the Bible because Paul's very clear on his words here. So in that case, it would be... Uh, permissible, Not the way God would want it. I want to say that. Not the way God would want it. Uh, but permissible. And in the case of abuse, uh, the Bible says here in verse number 15, but God hath called us to peace. Um, I want to say this. I understand and realize that that's a stretch, <laughs> that God has called us to peace. Uh, but I'm just going to be honest with you. I've got a little girl. And I love my baby girl. And they some man goes to beating on my baby girl, there probably won't be a need for divorce because the widow clause would come into effect. Amen? But I wouldn't want my daughter staying in an abusive relationship with some man that's beating the fool out of her. And the Bible says that God's called us to peace. And... He also says that the marriage bond too become one. And the husband is to respect the body of the wife like it's his own. And the wife's to respect the body of her husband like it's her own. And a person who's literally tearing down the body, tearing up the body, has tore up that bond of marriage. Uh, now, uh, I won't go any further into that. I'm just because all the Bible says there is peace. That we're called to peace in the marriage but I know one thing I don't want my daughter living in a place where somebody's doing that to her now hopefully she would have investigated it I said this at Granville's funeral or I mean Naomi's funeral today that uh, Granville's uh, was, she's going to go over there to visit him or maybe he was coming to get her and they called the sheriff over there in Tennessee to check him out before they'd let him take Naomi out on a date and that's a true story well I think a lot of that could be um, uh, alleviated if mamas and daddies would care enough 
to stick their nose in the business of their children and make sure who they're getting involved with. Uh, I can say this, it's only been recently in the civilization of man. Recently, I mean in like in the last probably 50 to 60 years, maybe a little longer than that, where this thing that the children chose who they were going to marry really became widespread. Because throughout the history of people, most of the time it's been mom and daddy choose the spouse for the children and then said, now here's your spouse, you make sure you learn to love them. And I don't know that we wasn't better off when that was what was taking place. Uh, we probably wouldn't have to deal with it if parents took it serious enough to where they'd sit their children down and talk to them about these difficult issues and then make sure who their children are with and because marriage is a covenant for life. Uh, I know uh, uh, Dakota talking to him and really the only thing I told him and Jamie and I tell this to every couple uh, when you stand before God and those witnesses and let, let me just say this too I said that about witnesses I can't pass this up good gracious that sermon just went out the window when I said that about witnesses I gotta say this Paul's talking about marriage Witnesses are important at a wedding. Now we, they have lost their significance in modern times because weddings have become a contract between two people in, a, in the state instead of two people in God. Uh, and that's done damage because literally, historically, and I believe in God's eyes, it was not the state that sanctioned weddings. It was the witnesses. The whole purpose of Jesus going to a wedding was so he could be a witness to that couple getting married and put his stamp of approval on that wedding. And I say that to say this, in this modern time when we're looking, Christians are often put in difficult situations as it pertains to being a witness at a wedding. Because you got things are legal today that ain't necessarily good in God's eyes. So a Christian family or a Christian family member may get asked to come be a witness at a wedding at something that God says is an abomination. Two men, two women, that kind of thing getting married. Well, and then the thing is, well, I don't want to cause problems. I don't want to cause difficulties. I don't want to cause dissension in my family. So I'll just go and be a witness. Well, let me show share with you what God sees when you do that. He sees you putting your stamp of approval on what he calls an abomination. And so we're forced to make difficult decisions in those instances and we have to choose like I talked about this morning with Peter and the rest of the apostles, am I going to do it God's way or am I going to do it man's way? Am I going to keep the peace or am I going to do what God wants and possibly suffer the consequences? And those consequences could very well be the splitting or breakup of a family. I understand that. Uh, but we've got to remember that Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace, but to bring division. Uh, meaning if you follow Jesus and do it God's way, sometimes it's going to cost you, possibly cost relationships. So those witnesses uh, at a wedding are very important. So I was telling Dakota that. I don't know how I got off on that. Oh, yeah, I was, I was telling Dakota about witnesses at, at his wedding. And here's what I said. As you stand up before God and those witnesses, 
the only thing I want both of you to understand is God doesn't give you an out. This is a lifelong commitment that you're making, not just to that person, but to God. And anything less than keeping that lifelong commitment uh, is considered sin in God's eyes. And I wanted them to understand that. And I think that's something that as parents, we have an obligation to sit our children down and explain to them just how serious marriage is. And that doesn't mean you can't have fun in marriage and it can't be some great adventure that you go on and praise God, life's an adventure and it ought to be that and, and all of that. But God takes it serious because it's the fundamental building block of civilization. Um, so it's important uh, that we explain to our children that it's a lifetime commitment and that when we make that commitment, except for those three reasons, uh, anything other than that is sin against God, not just that person. Now, I want to stop there and say this. I do not remove redemption out of that. I realize people make mistakes. And God realizes people make mistakes. And He hates sin, period. So it's not like divorce is, you know, the end all be all. There's always a place for grace, and there's a place for redemption, and there's a place for restoration, and all of that. Uh, but we've got to know and understand just how serious God takes uh, marriage. Question number two, all right, Paul, we've talked about that, but what about if a Christian is married to a non-Christian, how does that work? Um, and look what uh, Paul says here in verse number 12. But to the rest speak I, and not the Lord. If any brother hath a wife, has a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And, of course, the opposite of that, the woman has a husband that don't believe. He's pleased to dwell with her. Let her not leave him. So the question is, before we talked about a, a believer, you know, unbeliever, they get, uh, they get married, and one of them becomes a Christian, one wants to leave. Paul said, all right. You know, try to make that thing work, but if they don't, let them leave. Well, now he's speaking to the Christian whether or not you can leave. And to the Christian, he says, look, if you're unequally yoked, meaning, you know, one's Christian, one's not, you need to stick that thing out and you need to make that thing work. If, if they don't want to leave, stay there and make that thing work. And here's why he says it. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by their uh, by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now they're holy. Now here's why I say, and I think this will kind of give you the picture of what Paul's talking about. How many people in it in a home does it take to make that home a Christian home? Anybody got an idea? All of them? One. One. One Christian in a home can make that home a Christian home because that person can live and be the light and be the salt and be holy and be the demonstrator and show that family what it means to be a Christian. Now, God's ideal is that everyone in the home would be a Christian. But all it takes for it to be a Christian home is one Christian. And that, I think that's what Paul is is writing here. Not that the unbelieving person could save the other person, 
I don't, well, he makes clear later on that that's not necessarily the case. But by living a Christian life in front of that lost husband or that lost wife, they cannot help but see what it's like to be a Christian. But not only that, that it's the best life there is to live. So that's what Paul says. The unbelieving wife is sanctified or in a sense cleaned uh, or set apart by the wife and vice versa the husband. And he also goes on and talks about the children being unclean. But because of the believing parent, husband or wife, now they're holy. Uh, then he goes on and we talked about that, that uh, if the believer, the unbeliever goes ahead and departs, let them leave. But he says in verse 16, For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? Or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save uh, thy wife? But as God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called every one, so let him walk, and so ordain I in all churches. Uh, basically what Paul's saying there is, you don't know, you know who God's going to save and who God's not going to save. So stay and be salt and be uh, light. Uh, and you living that Christian life in front of them can have an effect on them. Uh, I do think this, and, I, and I've seen this in my own life, and I'm going to wrap up and, and be done. Uh, we have to be careful there, though, because oftentimes I believe what happens is one person gets saved. Well, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to use Shane for an example because I think it's, it, it works, and Shane won't get embarrassed. Shane's daddy was as wild as they could. <laughs> I'm telling you, he was wild. Shane, matter of fact, we was out walking in the woods yesterday, and she was telling me about remembering when her daddy was on the run from the law down in Florida when she was a little kid, and she'd wonder where he was and that kind of thing. And, uh, uh, I mean, it was, it was tough. Well, I'm going to tell you, Shane's daddy had one of those miraculous conversions, uh, and it, it made a difference. Uh, but there again, getting saved don't make you perfect. Right? You don't have all wisdom at the beginning. And one of the mistakes he made after he got saved was he expected all of his children and everybody in his family to immediately start living just like he was living. And I'm going to tell you, it caused turmoil. And it caused problems. I mean, here it is. You got your children and everybody around you. They're seeing you running wild, using dope and drinking and running crazy. And then you go to this place and you say you've had some supernatural experience. Now, I believe in those supernatural experiences. I'm just, I'm just being from their point of view. And then all of a sudden you say this and now you expect me to be the perfect person like you claim to be now? I mean, come on. That causes problems. Well, I think that's the danger what Paul's talking about here is that the believing spouse has to remember that that person's lost. And show them grace and mercy and understand that they're not going to have the same values and they're not going to have the same worldview looking at things, you know, like you do. And, and to trust God to do the cleaning and trust God to do the sanctifying and, and just live with them, be salt and light, and then trust God to do the saving. Um, because we can't expect that just because we've been saved, a lost person's going to stop doing what lost people do. They're going to do what lost people do until they get saved. And uh, that's a practical illustration of, of, I believe, what Paul's talking about here. Is that, yes, yeah, stay with them and be that salt and be that light. And it'll have an effect on them as they see you walk. 
but you don't know what's going to happen in their life, and you don't know how they're going to respond. I still remember calling my mom and telling her I got saved, and I thought she'd be happy, and she said, yeah, right, you'll be drunk again in two weeks, you know. I, I didn't know that was going to happen. Uh, of course, she found out, you know, that no, something happened, really did. Uh, but it took some time for her to see the fruits of that. And perhaps that is the case in marriages. So Paul goes on and he talks about, uh, is any man called being circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. If he's called in uncircumcision, let him not be circumcised because those two things mean nothing. What really matters is keeping the commandments of God. And then he closes that in verse 20. Let every man abide in the same calling wherein uh, he was called. Uh, I believe uh, all of that simply says this. Becoming a Christian, especially to those uh, Corinthian believers, doesn't destroy marriage, it enhances marriage. Uh, so you got two people that are married, one's a Christian, one's not. Uh, to the Christian, expect God to use your Christianity, to use your conversion, to use your relationship with Him, uh, to build a better relationship. But also expect Him to use that to possibly show your spouse, whatever that would be, to come to a place of faith and repentance. Uh, in all of that, I think what Paul's saying is, is number one, marriage is of God, but number two, God controls everything, even your marriage. And we simply need to trust Him and everything will work out better than if we try to do it in our own understanding. Let's pray. Father, we love You. We thank You uh, for Your Word. God, we thank You that it doesn't leave us blind, but it talks about everything, even those difficult issues of life that God have left to our own devices. We just forget about them, not even talk about them. Uh, but God, we thank You that as we preach through scripture father uh, you speak to us the words of wisdom that leads to life and uh, god we're grateful for that so lord i pray that you take your people and help us father just uh, decipher and uh, lord even digest uh, these words that you've given to us and that father not only would it strengthen our own marriages but god it also help us to show grace to those who may not have done it exactly the right way, uh, but Father, also uh, that we can be salt and be light in the world in which we live. So, Lord, help us to do that and honor you as we do it. And Father, we're going to praise you and thank you for all that you do in Jesus' name. Amen.